Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 1620 Lounge. I'm Chris Dyson, and we are recording this episode from our remote studio in New York a few weeks after the last checkered flags have flown on the 2020 racing season. Since we last gathered, the season of the virus, six months since our first episode, still holds minds and bodies hostage. This paradoxical and self-isolating year that never seemed like it was going to restart, let alone end, is, according to the calendar, nearly over. It's been a haltingly odd year filled with emotion and resignation. The cool distance that we need for calm judgment elusive. It's natural to be confused and disoriented. For anyone who is waking up right now, we're still knee-thick in the plot of this hallucinogenic movie. Even the most resilient have been pushed to their limits. And so we come unstuck in time in the 1620 lounge here in December, hoping for a better 2021 and a desire to put 2020 firmly in the rearview mirror. We are heartened by the friendships and the gallows humor that got us through this whole ordeal, but we're also chastened by the events of the last nine months. The wounds will take a while to heal, especially with the opportunists looking to exploit this crisis and by the petty tyrants whose answer to pain and anger is hypocritical orders from above. Hectoring self-appointed elite opinion makers are the antithesis to the freedom and personal expression of racing, always and forever. It's their world that always disappears as engines fire, visors go down, and the green flag drops. These futurists must sit and wait. We racing faithful get to hit the pause button on their little rollout and live only in the moment and enjoy every bit of it. And that's why those brief few months without racing were tough on a spiritual level, to say nothing of the economic effects of this virus on the racing industry as a whole. Still, it was a miracle that racing resumed in spite of the pandemic and it never felt more welcomed and more liberating than ever before. Since about June, whenever we went to a racetrack, the nanny state technocrats and fear mongers were drowned out by that reassuring, deafening thunder of race engines. And thank God for that. Guy Smith and I started this conversation as a pastime during the first phase of lockdowns in the spring. It was a simple idea to have chats like we always have, but more focused and centered around racing and racing culture and specifically celebrating our own connections and the colorful personalities of the Dyson Racing Team. It's a show with no agenda other than sharing unique insights and bright and fond memories, anything to get away from an increasingly gray automotive present that was already bent on stamping out individuality and on celebrating dull trophy generation conformity. Full disclaimer, Guy and I are both Gen Xers we came of age during a time when kids were still taught that cars were cool, iconic status symbols, when oil and beer companies and tobacco brands festooned racetracks and teams, when manufacturers rushed into motorsport without qualification or reservation and delivered monstrous annual budgets, when drivers were still grown-up gladiators there to tame the next automotive beast, each successive year bringing even more performance at racing's highest levels. Our heroes were grown-ups. It was aspirational to want to be a grown-up and to have access to this world. No one wanted to watch cartoons or play video games forever. The access to adult culture was the aspiration. Kids' every whim and disorder wasn't worshipped as they are today. Our asses weren't kissed by an infantilizing culture. There was no helicopter parenting. We were called the whatever kids. And that was mainly because we rolled with whatever our dominant boomer parents gave us and made the best of it. Adults when we were kids still wanted to have fun and the rock concert, good times will never end atmosphere of major racing events underline that. To have car companies strongly associated with beer, cigarettes, loud noise, belching flames, no problem. Give us more of that. The age of entitlement, the moniker may as well have been, we aren't apologizing for the excess, we deserve it this had a massively positive effect on motorsport. It was a more linear time when early cable and satellite TV needed compelling content and when print media stood at its peak and racing was believed to underline performance images for car companies associated with the events. Motorsport boomed, a different era, no doubt, in some ways barely recognizable to the culture of uniform corporate feel-good virtue signaling in which we find ourselves today. The era of racing in the 1980s and 1990s was edgy, expansive, optimistic, and frankly, glorious. 
The sport knew what it was and what it was there to do. It was a showcase of cool and a portal for performance image. It's all of this that formed our love for the sport and made it something that Guy and I both felt we had to do. During our own racing careers, we hurtled with brake failure into the new media world of the present, where attention spans can hardly process the unrelenting stimulation and where the color and texture have paradoxically dimmed from the automotive culture. By accident or by design, days now feel like weeks and time is scrambled. The present feels more disposable simply because brain messages are being overwritten with floods of content. The Gen X answer of bemusement and detachment and irony is a great coping mechanism for this moment. We get to watch the outrage wars, the apology spin cycles removed from a lot of it. Here in the lounge, we get to ignore the eager stenographers and the looming panopticon. And it's fun for Guy and me to recall the less fragmented and relatively simple worlds in which we formed our personalities, our love for the sport, and the sensibilities that carried into our careers as drivers. We are not here with the conceit to evangelize for some untold of glorious future, but rather to celebrate the eras that we knew and against which we formed our passion and our identities. There's still plenty to cover in our suite of programs, and we will have some really cool personalities on as we try to cope with the winter months and a brief respite from the time away with our friends at racetracks. Guy and I have caught up a lot over the past couple of weeks, and we thought it would be good to do a shakedown run and get the lounge act rolling before we attack the larger content as the seasons drift into winter. Guy has been pretty busy during this 2020 interlude, recording and airing his own Spinning Wheels podcast, which I strongly recommend, and recently launching his driver management program at Greenlight Sports with our longtime teammate and previously featured 1620 Lounge guest, Andy Merrick. Guy drove a lot less than he'd planned this year, and that's a story for another day. But he's always on the throttle, dynamo that he is, and I know that he and Andy have been working hard to build out a roster of clients who have put their faith into the new agency. I've been pretty occupied myself the past few months, kicking the door down on lockdown V1, racing resumed in June in the Trans Am series, and just wrapped up at Road Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. It was a bipolar year at the track. We either ran trouble free and won, or finished on the podium, or we broke and came out of the weekend with nothing. Uh, my open wheel team had some good success in sprint cars, so there was definitely some real bright spots on the track this year. I know that I'm already going through some withdrawal from the mind-bending, empowering, and euphoric world that exists with over 800 horsepower on tap, and jumping off the excitement treadmill is always easier when you're still talking about it with friends. So Guy, it's been a while. It's good to be back with you. How have the few months gone? How are you feeling about this year? You've been, you've been busy. Yeah, it's a strange one, Chris. It's, it's it's kind of gone. It's kind of gone by pretty quickly, considering that you know we're, we've kind of been in numerous lockdowns. Certainly here in the UK, we've we've had some pretty lengthy lockdowns, which has been it's been tough. It's been tough on 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 a lot of people. But um, you know, there's been you know the last half of the year, there's been quite a lot of racing, and um, you know certainly as a as a race fan, you know Formula One's been busy. There's been seems to be you know weekend after weekend there's been a follow on race which has been been great and you know world rally's been uh, been back on which has been good so i've been following elfin evans uh, closely obviously you've been racing so i've been following the the trans am which has been great um so there's been plenty going on to be to be honest with you it's it's been it's been it's been okay um like yourself you know i like to stay busy so you know i've been training hard spent time with family you know as you mentioned the new agency so between it all, it's been it's been really yeah it's been busy, but 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 enjoying it to be fair. Let's talk a little bit about the backdrop of the 2020 racing season. It stops cold completely in March, right when everything is about to come back to life, and then it resumes kind of haltingly in the middle of the summer. So there's a spring and a summer of some unrest, and the world just seemed off kilter the whole year. It was a really tough time to make sense of, and a lot of the years presented challenges like we've never seen before. As a lifelong athlete who builds kind of the rhythms of your life off seasons and routines, how do you adjust to this? Um, you know, and clearly, I know you've been a little bit out of the game full time, but I think 
it's hardwired into us as drivers. How do you how do you deal with a world that stops when you're guys like you and me? I think I think it's difficult. I mean, it's funny. You're right because whenever I talk to my wife about things that we've done, or you know, we talk about our our children, I I always kind of relate it to seasons of racing. You know, I always I always say, oh, yeah, I remember I was driving this this car at that you know that year. She she kind of laughs with me about it, but it it, it is it's um you know it becomes such a big part of your life that um, yeah when it gets interrupted. I mean, I, I'm sort of sort of semi-retired, so. You know, for me, it's more. It's, it hasn't been such a, a maybe such a sudden shock as it has to somebody that's racing. You know, week in, week out. But still, I think. Um, you know, I was listening to the um, the, the Dorsey Schrader podcast uh, today, and he was saying. You know, he he was sort of saying himself that you know he had he sort of retired from racing, had a couple of years in the restaurant business, and just realised how much he missed. Not necessarily the driving of it. I'm sure you missed the driving of it, but actually the, the family and being around your friends and peers. That, that you know, I think that's the difficult side. And I think, you know, from a from a race team's point of view, as drivers, it, it's tough. But also from the the mechanics and the guys that work on the teams, you know, they have that camaraderie, that that team spirit that, that they build up over time. And to not have that is, is very difficult. And I think you know we we kind of take that for granted. So it it, it it's difficult. Um, but you know, there, there's obviously been as I said, racing has resumed to a to a, a certain degree, albeit generally without fans, which, again, is another another sort of topic to discuss. But you know, I think the a lot of the governing bodies have, you know, to be fair, have done a really good job to to work around this pandemic and 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 get racing back going again, which is which has been good to see. I think this year scared a lot of people. You know, it's obviously destroyed a lot of lives and. The very least, it's fried a lot of people's brains. Um, the uncertainty was really disorienting. A lot of the times, the virus itself and the policy response, the public reaction were often, in my opinion, it, it, it was Alice in Wonderland. Even now, it feels like a lot is unwinding from the shock of it all. A lot is in the middle of it. And there's a weird filter on everything that happens. You know, I'm not going to get political, but let's just say that I've often felt like I'm at the point of an episode of The Twilight Zone where the camera pulls away as the hysteria occurs to reveal kind of two aliens laughing at the humans on Earth. It's like we're living in some twisted psyop, uh, conditioned responses. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. I honestly don't know how or why people are so invested in political outcomes nowadays when the folks who are running things seem utterly incapable of delivering freedom or a sense of confidence or reassurance to the public. But that may be down to the fact that people have had their lives just put on pause and there's not a lot to do other than just spectate and comment on these abstract political constructs, almost like that's become the sport. So there's a lot of ridiculous blathering, self-satisfied virtue signaling. It was already in the culture before this. And the mugging by those who are in charge kind of seems like there's this insufficient concern for presenting actual solutions to the public who have really endured the brunt of it. But for me, because of all of this, the kaleidoscopic, unnerving backdrop, whenever I've been to a racetrack this year, it feels so reassuring, so restorative, like more than ever. You know, the racetracks have always been these sanctuaries of controlled chaos, untethered to anyone's normal, but it's our normal for racers, for fans. Let freedom ring. I, I, I cannot believe how happy everyone has been to be back together, just making noise, flexing, scaring ourselves, pushing limits, competing, just enjoying the camaraderie of the paddock and the interaction with the fans. It, it's such an intoxicant, this sport. And living without it and then having it back was like turning on all the lights or injecting like double doses of adrenaline to the system. You know, Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction comes to mind, you know, the, the syringe to the heart. Like, I felt that way when we got back to mid-Ohio. I'm sure you did when you got back in the car. Yeah. You know, I like I like how you launched the Spinning Wheels podcast. And I have to say, I'm impressed, uh, mm -hmm. not at all surprised by how dogged you and Paul have been about mm -hmm. sticking to a steady recording schedule. You're such a routine meister. Y you've had an amazing roster of guests, too. 
you know, and I, I wanted to talk a little about that. I mean, this isn't a podcast about a podcast, but you guys have delivered some incredible content. And I'm impressed by how open some of these legends have been with you about their experiences. Were there any standout guests? Are there any part twos for any of them where you're gonna develop it more? I mean, what's the vision right now? Because mm -hmm. I, our, our little conversation here started as just a way to, to pass the time, but you guys have done a really structured, kind of nice depth and breadth of reach, good general show. And I recommend it, Spinning Wheels podcast, guys. Check mm -hmm. it out. You know, well, what, what's 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 the next step with the spinning wheels? Well, actually, Chris, it, it was actually your idea. The whole podcasting was your idea because actually this podcast came about before the spinning wheels podcast. And it was you that was saying, you know, we should do it. We should do it. And I was kind of, I'm, I, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. And, you know, it, it, I, the reason really for doing it was um, because we were in lockdown, we were kind of stuck at home. And, you know, it was just nice to kind of, it was more a case of challenging yourself to do something different more than anything. Initially, it was, okay, well, how do you how do you do a podcast? You know, where do you start? And you start researching it. And, you know, we talk about microphones and this and that and all, all this kind of um, fun stuff. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just been really good. And then you start, you start, you know, you start thinking, well, who, you know, who'd be good to speak to? They've just, people have just got great stories. And I think that once you get people talking and, and kind of get them going, that the, the stories just, you know, naturally come out. Obviously, some people are natural talkers and they can just talk and talk and, and, and it's quite easy. Others, you have to kind of, you know, grab, you know, sort of drag the stories out of them. But no, I, th I think, you know, there were so many, so many, been so many great ones. Obviously, Derek Bell was, was, was great. Nicky Grist with all his stories from, um, you know, like his days with Colin McRae and people like that. Terry Fullerton, who's a big, you know, big sort of um, hero of mine from karting days. Yeah, we, we, there's, so, there's so many, so many good ones. So it's been fun. It's been fun. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'm I'm quite as, mine, mine are quite as polished as yours, you know, but certainly getting the stories out there have been good. And doing it with Paul has been good because obviously, you know, he kind of leads it, which is great from my point of view. So... You know, we, we try we try and keep it regular. You know, sometimes it's every week, sometimes it's every two weeks or three weeks, depending on schedules and one thing or another. And, you know, I would like to get, you know, Tom and Dindo back together, talk about Le Mans, because I think that, that would be an interesting one. And we haven't really got talked all together since Le Mans, so it'd be quite a good one. People like Juha Kankinen, you know, rally, you know, great rally guy. So, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, just, just, you know, keep keep doing them and enjoying them and, uh, yeah, have, have fun with it, really. Yeah, Derek Bell and Stefan Johansson should have their own network, yeah, in my yeah. opinion. I could listen to either of them talk all day. And what history? You know, I, I'm not sure what it is about anyone who raced in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, but that whole era really still holds a lot of my imagination. Just the romance of it, the joy of the racing back in the day, the simplicity. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what's gone missing. But bringing those kind of characters forth to reflect on their careers, it's what a lot of people, you know, even the folks who race all the time, they, they just adore hearing about it. I also loved how everyone who had big international careers who you've had on the show loved racing in the USA, just like you did. Um, yeah. I mean, and, it's just it's just everybody, everybody without question, you know, and even now, you know, anybody I speak to in Europe. You know, and, and we talked about the, my driver management thing that, that working on now. And, you know, all the drivers are still, yeah, I really want to race in America. They all want to race in America. Unfortunately, it's, it's a little bit more difficult these days. Um, but given the choice, that's that's where they want to race. And I think that's great. And I think, you know, got great circuits. You know, the, the racing, the, the series is, is, is fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I, just going back to the point about the, the races as well, it's going to be interesting to see because, certainly maybe in the US, but probably the the fan counts may have been, been a little bit down. And, um, you know, I think this pandemic will make people reassess how much they enjoy going to the racetrack. You said about how much fun it is being back at racetrack and seeing the cars and hearing the cars and smelling the cars. So be interested to see next year when, you know, if, if normality does resume to a certain degree, if, you know, people will kind of come back in there, you know, in the droves to back to the races. I hope so. I hope it, I hope it has a positive effect. And, People will, you know, because all the people that go to Sebring and camp out and you know, you know, do all that kind of fun stuff, they missed it this year. You know, they they, they kind of it wasn't the same. So, be interesting to see how it comes next year. Hopefully, um, 
Sebring 12 hours, I'll, I'll, I'll be back to normal and, yeah, see the fans back at the racetrack, which would be great. I think a lot of people just got fed up with being cooped up and being back at a racetrack. I mean, first of all, it's the ultimate escape to begin with, even before all this, but especially after this. Just seeing folks, seeing those familiar faces, I've never personally been more grateful to be at a racetrack. You know, it was so funny because we had a couple of post-race interviews and one of the guys came up and asked me, he goes, God, Chris, you must be really disappointed to have not won that race. And it was a close battle. We just finished second to Ernie Francis. And I just kind of had to say, like, actually, like, we're just honestly, like, fortunate to be here doing this. And that wasn't like a cliche. I wasn't like false modesty. I look around and I look at people not being allowed to go out and get get dinners at restaurants and kids being locked up from school. I mean, racing has always felt like the, the supreme protest, the ultimate middle finger, if you will, to kind of normalcy. But when you see folks at the track congregating, especially when folks build their lives around it, all of a sudden to get that back after having all of it taken away, especially against the backdrop, you know, racing did great in the USA during the Depression, just like mm. movies did, because it was escapism for people. And I'm getting that impression when I go to these tracks and they're reduced numbers, they're reduced fans. But the folks who are there, and especially like the campgrounds, they're rocking. And, you know, I think that it would be phenomenal if going into next year, you know, one of the things that we see here in the U.S. is the desire for people to get out and camp. And mm. to get outside and congregate, it's just a natural human condition. I mean, I don't care what the futurists say about sitting home and being on a Zoom meeting and virtual reality. Human beings want to be around each other. They want to be out. And this virus has been suffocating a lot of that human spirit. And then when you layer in the fear mongering and look, I'm not a I'm not a, a hoax guy, but, you know, let's face it. There's been some ridiculous kind of starts and stops to this thing. And I think when you go to the racetrack, it's a slice of normalcy for the people who rely on it for their enjoyment. You know, obviously professionals who count on it for, to make a living. But I feel like there's like this like shared celebration now, maybe to a greater extent. I think the sport, for all the things that we kind of malign about where it's been, I think it's been a real outlet for people. And I, like I've been watching, I am not going to watch iRacing. Like mm. the hell with that. Like, I'm sorry. Like, thankfully, this season got postponed late enough that the next one's going to start soon enough that we probably won't get sucked into that stuff. I don't think we're ever going to have a podcast about iRacing again. I know that'll break your heart. No, but... no, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I mean, I think the iRacing, yeah, you're right, because I think so many people bought simulators during lockdown. That now, now they're kind of like, you know, during the winter months, they're going to want to be running the simulators out again. So no doubt there's going to be a resurgence of uh, of sim racing but but yeah so 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 we'll see how that 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 fares but yeah no, i think i think just people miss i think you know even regular sport with football or or, or or you know soccer as we call it here in the uk the fact that people can't go and you know people spend their weeks working away and when it comes to the weekend they want to go and have that escapism they want to forget about their everyday lives they want to forget about the work pressures or whatever else and they, they want to be able to just kind of lose themselves for an hour or two and, and kind of watch the race or whatever else. So I think, I think that that's been tough. I mean, it's still been okay to watch on the TV. I mean, things like the Indy 500 and stuff have been, have been good. I mean, they're still, they're still entertaining, but yeah, nothing quite like being at the racetrack. So um, I think, you know, going forward, you know, I think we've obviously started vaccinating now here in the UK. It's only a, a very, very small step, but you know, it's, it's still a step in the right direction. You know, I think the outlook going forward is much more positive. So you know, let's hope that um, normality or some normality will resume fairly quickly and we can get back to what we all love so much. So let's talk a little bit about this recent foray that you've made into driver management. Uh, mm. I'm especially interested in, in kind of understanding what pushes you and Andy, who already have such busy schedules, to jump into the field in this environment. You know, what is the angle? What are the opportunities? How's it going so far? You both have had managers at different points of your career, and I'm sure you both learned what worked and what didn't. Just talk a little about that, because I, that that was an interesting decision. 
I'm excited about it because you guys you guys can uh, sell ice to Eskimos. So <laughs> to talk about it a little bit. Well, for, for my sins, I just it's it's just something that, that as I started to stop driving, you know, more and more drivers um, over the last sort of three or four years have been asking me if I would help them, manage them, guide them, whatever you want to call it. You know, I've been kind of busy doing my own stuff, so I haven't really had the time to do it. And I always felt that if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it properly, not kind of like, you know, haphazard, you know, kind of give it give it an hour, an hour here and an hour there. And I just felt at the time, you know, particularly with lockdown, it made me sort of think about, well, you know, I'd quite like to do that. There's quite a lot of drivers that I'd, I'd like to work with. Um, and, and also Andy was in a similar position. I mean, obviously he works closely with the Motorsport UK uh, Academy here in the UK. He's also the director of the BRDC Superstars, which is the kind of, I guess, the main um, uh, scheme for young British drivers. So, you know, he's pretty, you know, pretty uh, not not connected, but, he, you know, he's got he's, he's worked a lot with young talent. And, and, and he's, he, to be fair, he's pretty good with it. And, um, you know, he was also getting asked by um, by drivers if, if, if he would help them. But I think. To do it by yourself, it's a lot. It's, it's taking a lot on. I think doing it collectively and kind of pooling your resources and your time and your energy, um, and also you've got you know you've got um, people to bounce it off. Like you know, obviously, like with yourself in the states, if I've got stuff I want to ask about America or what's going on in the US, I can call you up. I can bounce ideas and vice versa. So it's just it's just good. I, you know, I'm enjoying it. You know, working with the young drivers is is, is good. Um, I think when you get to a certain point in your career, when you become more of a professional driver, there's less need for a manager. I don't really like the word manager. I, I, I don't really know the best way to describe it, but um, you know, it, it, it's. I think then there's there's less need because I think at that point you kind of you, be, you become established and you can kind of you know do your own stuff. But I think there's a lot of young drivers now, you know, coming out of go karts and starting to race. In the UK, we have a we have a class called Genetta Juniors, and there are only 14, 15 year old kids coming, you know, out go karts into cars. And you know, it's, if we can help, advise them, guide them, um, to find the right opportunities for them, um, you know, that's obviously what what we're trying to do. So it's still early days yet. Um, we've got, um, I think we've got uh, four drivers currently that we're working with, and we'll probably take a couple more on, and that'll probably be about it. We don't want to have lots and lots of drivers. Um, you know, but we want to we want to work closely with the guys that we've got. So, yeah, it's been it's it's fun so far. I'm enjoying it. It's, it it takes up a lot of time. It, you know, without without question of a doubt. You know, particularly this time of year when drivers are obviously trying to get their programs sorted for next year. You know, the market is quite is quite testing at the minute because you know with with the with the current climate. But um, you know, that makes it more fun. It's just more challenging. Um, so I don't think I've spent so much time on the phone in all my life, but. You know, kind of enjoying it. You know, it's just it's a different challenge, but uh, but yeah, it's been it's been fun. What type of racing, in your opinion, comes out of this pandemic in the best shape? Um, oh, you know, I tell you what has come out. Well, currently, with everything that's gone on, I think Formula One is kind of having a resurgence. I mean, Formula E, you know, probably pre this year was was kind of riding the, in the crest of a wave. All the manufacturers are looking at kind of um, sustainability, electric vehicles. Um, and Formula E was kind of the right product, but it's not quite, while it kind of fits from a marketing point of view, the actual product itself is pretty um, uninspiring and it's not very exciting. And Formula One's kind of just, you know, since sort of the Bernie era, 
it's kind of been a little bit lost. It's kind of doesn't quite know where it fits in and, and how it how it kind of fits in with with with, with the manufacturers going forward. Um, but it, you know, I think with lockdown, the fact they've been racing, they've had some good races. They've raced at different circuits, which has been really interesting. Um, they, you know, have got some obviously uh, after Bahrain, we've got George Russell comes in, which throws a whole new element into Formula One and 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 the future of Formula One. So I think Formula One have, has come out of it quite well. I mean. Um, I think it's been entertaining. Um, what what else? I mean, yeah, I think I think we're still in that we're still in that kind of situation where the automotive industry is kind of up in the air. I mean, they're all trying to figure out what their kind of ten year plan is. Where are they going to be in ten years' time? And the idea is, is no one quite really knows what the future is going to be in terms of. You know whether it's going to be full electric, whether it's going to be hydrogen, or, or you know we we don't know. I mean everybody's got their ideas, and and it, it seems that certainly most most companies. I mean Bentley announced that they're going to go full electric, um, and and hence their motorsport program. They they announced that they are stopping the GT program, um, but they want to keep they want to return to motorsport, but they want to return with a electric slash hydrogen type platform. So whether that would be Le Mans or Formula E or some other kind of um, alternative racing, we'll, we'll have to see. But I think a lot of other manufacturers are looking in the same way. So I think I think Le Mans, um, I think sports car racing, you know, it, it's always, it's always uh, from a customer point of view, it's always been relatively strong with LMP2. The manufacturers come and go, and the last couple of years have been pretty lean. And I think the next year or two might be a little bit lean. But I think 2022 onwards, 2023. I think it's going to be a really golden era again for sports car racing with, you know, Audi, Porsche, Toyota, uh, possibly Honda, you know, and, and, you know, potentially another two or three manufacturers. So, you know, hopefully, you know, that would be great for, for sports car racing. Um, and, and then, yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, rallying is always fun, but it's, it's difficult because again, the manufacturers financially are all, they're all been squeezed, you know, so, um, you know, it, 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 financially, it's quite tough for them at the minute. But um, yeah, well, well, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see. But I mean, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed watching your racing. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, with Trans Am, I've not, I've never really followed it that closely in the last couple of years. Obviously, because I've been following your races. Um, you know, it's been, it's been really great to watch. I mean, the cars are just. I mean, I was talking to you about when you're racing at Road America. Uh, sorry, Road Atlanta, and you're getting power slides through Turn One. I mean. You know, it's just so much fun to watch and spitting flames and, um, you know, the, 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 the racing has been really, really good. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of good racing out there, that's for sure. So, um, I think probably Formula 1 has come out of it the, the best, I would say. Well, I, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm brokenhearted over Formula E's troubles, you yeah. know, because I always thought it was kind of this force-fed infomercial that we were all supposed to clap our hands and cheer enthusiastically for. And obviously, like, very few people are really that invested other than the people who are being paid to be invested in it. Mm. And I felt like it was kind of this way for motorsport people to keep a program. But when you have a product that doesn't have sizzle, it doesn't have emotional content, the idea of taking silent racing into the cities, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. It's, we're obviously a product of our times, but I'm, ref, I'm actually honestly reassured by the fact that people really didn't like it because I never thought it was going to work. And I understand the R and D component of it. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio and all the Davos people probably were thrilled about it, but that's a really small segment of kind of this sort of smug futuristic, you know, arrogance that seems to have overtaken the automotive industry. And I think in a lot of cases, the automotive industry has painted itself into a corner with a lot of these very noble, but frankly, unrealistic objectives. Uh, you know, and there's clearly gonna be some progress made there, but the autonomous future, you know, the idea of, you know, people not caring about the cars. I think the fact that Formula One's done so well is really down to the fact that they've got They've had a steady enough rule set that cars are now pretty equal. They haven't had to do a bunch of BOP nonsense there, but it shows you that when rules are stable for a while, people start to figure it out. And 
I think Lewis Hamilton has obviously underlined his position as the lead guy in the world of racing, you know, and, and it's been kind of unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish. But it's been fun to watch these F1 races where things get a little bit crazy. But if you look down the field and you look at the battles through the field, I don't think it's ever been this close before. Uh, you know, IndyCar racing is always great. Uh, I'm obviously biased because a lot of the guys that we know are still racing in IndyCar racing. But I watch a lot of the races with my kids and they're diehard IndyCar fans. And they were glued to the TV watching the last week's race in, in Bahrain because it was close, just like an IndyCar race. And there was a lot of wildness and chaos. I also think, too, that the getting to know the personalities, I think that they're they're becoming a little bit more empowered to say what's on their minds. Mm. I think that what we talked about, about uh, the social media thing, you know, that's that's a two-way street. And I think some of these kids are starting to figure out, and I think, frankly, the sponsors and the owners are starting to figure out that if you let these people become individuals, you end up caring about them more. So, yeah. you know, and it's, look, I'm happy. If God bless these guys that could go get these Formula E drives and get paid a ton of money. But really, was it, was anybody watching? And the answer was no. And yeah. to the point where, you know, you've had some of your mainstays pull out. And seeing Audi coming back to uh, Le Mans-style racing, looking at IMSA again, it's the best kind of back to the future because, you know, you do need the big manufacturers to prop up sports car racing. And let's face it, you know, a lot of this hypercar stuff was, you know, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, you know, this this constant need to uh, change rule books. It, it's crazy. I mean, you know, it's, it's a real pet peeve of mine because as a car owner, it's the worst thing. But the fans don't like it because you lose the personalities. I think you lose the momentum. And... The thing about funny you mentioned Trans Am guy because you know, Trans Am is kind of I think it's the antidote to everything because it's a throwback. You know you're you're racing you know over 800 horsepower, more power than grip. Uh, we're sliding the cars. Cars are spectacular. Uh, they're hard to drive. You got to look after them. And as a driver like out there competing in that, you know you've got to subdue the car. Uh, you know the car is more than you. It's more than what the tires are. And I think when you can layer those things together, I think it's really compelling. And I think it's great that you've been able to watch the series on the live stream this year because now you can start to see what I was talking about all this time. But it's I do think that there's a lot of regrouping. Um, I, I hate the term reimagining, but that seems to be a buzzword. You know, there's a lot of people with this pandemic that are it's kind of become this kind of revealing moment to kind of look at people and i said it was a truth serum earlier but it really is kind of this thing about like how did you view the world before this all happened and the one thing that i i, I find reassuring is that racing has become a real outlet for people maybe more so than before because mm -hmm. there's not a lot of other stuff happening so i hope the sport can leverage that and i hope that it, you know the interest stays sustained but I hope I hope there's also lessons that people are learning that that, you know, they don't want racing to be an agenda driven thing. It's got to be organic. You've got to be excited about the cars and the personalities involved because it's more than anything else. It's a human sport. And your podcast explores these personalities. Mm. We talk about it a lot here, but the personalities are really what draw you in. And the, the excitement of the cars, the, the all of this, it, that's what gets you coming back. Well, the thing is, as well, the interesting thing, just going back to the Formula One thing, is one of the, and it sounds crude, but one of the best things that happened for Formula One was the Grosjean crash, because he had that horrendous crash. But A, I think it made people realize that actually racing is dangerous, you know, because I think people were like, oh, Formula One guys, this, it's not dangerous. I think they realized actually, yeah, it is really dangerous. I think it even made the drivers think, yeah, actually, it is dangerous. And... Everybody was talking about Formula One. Did you see the crash? You see this? You see that? And and so it created some hype. Um, and then of course, you know, followed Grosjean's story throughout the next week, and he was on the on the news and everything else, which was interesting. Of course, Hamilton gets COVID, and then it's okay. Well, now now George Russell comes in. So you've got two two massive stories on two separate you know, two weekends back to back. So it's kind of created the hype, um, and. 
it, it delivered the race in the last race in Bahrain, but whether it be George Russell's amazing drive at Mercedes or whether it Perez's drive, you know, to, to win his race and the guys that are out of a drive for next year, there's just story after story, which kind of gets you on the edge of your seat. Um, and that's kind of what Fon One's been missing. It's been very sterile. It's the same car, the same, you know, winning with the same driver on the same track, which is super, super smooth, super wide, you know, kind of boring. You go to Bahrain, uh, sorry, you go to, um, yeah, you go to Bahrain, and now we're doing an, an outer loop, which is like a kind of a lime rock on acid. You know, it's bumpy. You know, it, it, the cars are skipping around, the sparks fly in, the racing at night. Um, it just, it just, it, it, even if as a Formula One fan, it was a different circuit. So you you were wanted to watch the cars going around because it was diff, something different. So I don't know how they how they can maintain um, uh, kind of that mixed up sort of strategy next year because obviously we know that Formula One is very commercial. So a lot of the circuits agree years years in advance that they're going to have certain races. So some of the smaller circuits, like a Portimao, for example, you know they probably couldn't afford to hold a Formula One race in, in, in regular circumstances, but actually provided good racing. You know, um, as I can't remember, there's a few, other, a few other circuits. But I thought the Bahrain one was good. I thought the fact that they had it on, on, on the, the normal circuit uh, one weekend and then a different circuit the following weekend actually was a really good, um, it was a really good uh, thing for Formula One. So it, it made it exciting. I like your comment about the Grosjean thing because, and also like the way that, safety comes back into it because I think personally that the sport has become so safety obsessed and so honestly safe that very few people are grasping what could happen. And, you know, this was a sport that, you know, when we were growing up as kids, guys got hurt, guys got killed. And there wasn't, necessarily the romance you know death wish whatever you want to call it behind it but there it was always there and i think as the safeties improved certainly during and through our careers even there's been a whole generation of kids who have grown up and they've not seen people get hurt and mm. thank god right but when you see a crash like what grosjean had you know the thing that struck me was a lot of the guys you know on the f1 side thought that it was inhumane for people to be obsessed with the crash but you know that crash was insane you know it's it's a miracle that the guy survived and and yeah it's science but it's a miracle because mm. when you look at the circumstances of that i mean grosjean has been one of the most unbelievable offenders as far as wildness on track a lot of his career and you know i'm you know he's out of the sport but there's been guys indycar guys who have just been guys who are guys that get into a lot of incidents. And he's definitely one of them. And and my view on that wreck was, what the hell was he doing trying to chop across the track mm. and not paying attention to the guys behind him? I'm hopeful that it just makes guys in Formula One a little bit more alert to the fact that, Jesus, okay, I've got this halo, but you know how safe am I? And understand that, like, you've got to be respectful when you're out there on track. You can't just treat it like it's a rental car with a shield around the wheels. And, and I, you know, right, like you said, the, the danger element of it for the fans, you know, this is a different sport. This is not a sport that people should look at at home and say, yeah, I could do that. Mm. Because, you know, when you look at the courage of somebody like Grosjean to, for all the criticism that I'm, I'm maybe willing to give him and a lot of which he's earned, you know, for him to step out of that car, I mean, I can tell you fire would make a dead man move, uh, having been in him. But for him to get out of it like he did and come back, yes, it's an endorsement of the sport, but boy, did it bring eyeballs to the sport too. And that's why, like, the guys that are in F1, they shouldn't be so critical of it. You know, it's not a negligence thing, like that horrible thing with Jules Bianchi. Yeah. With, 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 the, with that tow vehicle on track. Well, I mean, that, I think... was an, that was an absolute tragedy. I think uh, this because, was this this was something to celebrate. I think because he was okay, you know, you you know, because he was okay, you can then talk about it, and and you know that actually, yeah, you can you can rewatch it, you can analyze it, because that's not being kind of gruesome or gaudy. Because luckily the outcome was 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 positive. But um, but uh, you know, I, I had people 
texting me and messaging me that don't really watch Formula One, but they 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 all either seen it on the news or they had they had maybe had watched it because it was in the background, and they're all texting me, and suddenly the eyeballs were on Formula One. So, um, but I've got a question for you then. So after the last Bahrain race, your Toto Wolf, what do you do next year? You've got Hamilton wants forty odd million. You've got you've got Russell. You've got Bottas. What you know? What it's a nice position to be in. What what do you, what do you do? Well, I think I think for sure you know Lewis has you know a unique position in in not only just racing but worldwide sports. I mean he's he's one of the best known athletes now in the yeah. world, and not just for uh, his position at the center of you know the the racial justice initiatives, but also just his raw talent. And I mean this is a guy who I never thought there'd be anybody who would get close to Schumacher's run yet here we are and that's great i mean you know he's done an incredible job at mercedes uh i think that he went into a good situation there they have a lot of you know clearly that's a good situation for him as a driver uh the team loves him they work together he has an ability to be the all-time most winning driver he's never been a guy who's afraid of having uh, a good teammate and I think that's, to me, that's one of his best attributes. I mean, you look at some of these other guys who came along who, you know, Schumacher certainly always wanted kind of the dutiful number two. Uh, you know, I think Alonzo, to a certain extent, he he chafed when Hamilton got close to him. Mm. And, you know, I think his his career is, has suffered because of it, frankly. Uh, I, you know, clearly Hamilton's always had teammates that can step up to the step up to the mat and he's got enough confidence that he can beat them. So I think, I think they're going to resign him. I think Toto will resign him. And, and I would give him the deal for as long as he's motivated, as long as he knows that he can win, that he's comfortable and fired up to go. Um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Vettel's going to do next year. I think that's going to be a fascinating one, mm. probably a separate question, but if I'm Mercedes, I mean, I, I would look pretty critically at Botas just because I think, you know, when it's all said and done, I think Valtteri's a brilliant driver. I think he's 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 uh, you know very very good. I think it's going to come down to what Mercedes wants to plan for, and I think Russell showed that getting in a car that was unfamiliar. Yeah, okay, it shows that the Mercedes is a brilliant car, mm. but the fact that he was on par with Botas right out of the bat, I mean, it, to me, he lived up to the hype. You know, mm. I mean, I thought that was an interesting kind of weekend to see how good this kid really was. And, you know, I think it made us all want to watch. Again, we all wanted to watch. I wanted to watch every practice session, which I wouldn't normally do. And I wanted to watch qualifying because I was curious to know how he was going to stack up against Bottas. And then I really wanted to watch the race. I've never been so excited. Sorry. It's been a long time since I was so excited about watching a Grand Prix as I was last weekend, last Sunday. Um, I think, I think, and I think also in terms of the money, you know, with Hamilton, people always say, you know, what he earns and this, that, and the other, and it is a lot of money. But again, you have to kind of put it in perspective about, you know, we look at our soccer players, you know, how much our soccer players get paid here in the UK, and they're not really risking their lives. There's no real danger to it, you know. Whereas, you know, again, I think the Grosjean thing just highlights that actually, you know, this is this is serious, you know, serious stuff here. You know, we're not we're not playing with with you know with toys. These are serious things. So. I think I completely agree with you, and I think Lewis himself. I think, yeah, as a as a as an ambassador of the sport and respecting what he's achieved. I mean, he's earned that right to be in that car, and you know where he scores over people like you know like Bottas is that he always delivers. I mean, I think Bottas is for me. I, I was never super impressed by him. I think he's got a fast lap in him. I think he can on his day he can out qualify um, Lewis. But I think Lewis kind of doesn't really worry about that because he knows that in the race, he's always seems to be more complete. He'll either beat him at the start or he always seems to get... They always say that, that Bottas is unlucky, but, you know, in some respects, you got kind of make your own luck, don't you, in certain situations. So and I think I think the Bahrain situation for me kind of was, was just made me feel that, you know, the way that Russell came in and kind of, you know, he got a good start and Bottas didn't. You know, and he's never started the car before, and then he just drove away from him in the race, and he actually repassed him. I know, I know, he was on, they were on different tires and everything else, but I, I, I think, I think, you know, I think George has earned his place to be 
you know, in, in that car. Now, whether that would ever have a Hamilton and uh, Russell in the same team, I don't know. But, he, you know, he's definitely going to be the future. I mean, if I don't know how, how many years Hamilton will race for, but if it was me, you know, I'd be trying to get him alongside Hamilton and learning and pushing each other um, for the next couple of years so that when Hamilton does step back, you know, he's he, he's ready to go. So, um, but I, I think... It's whether it's whether they end up buying bosses out his contracts and like that. You know, that's what I'd be looking to try and see happen. You know, I think a lot of it too, guy comes down. You know, you in the, in the previous times, Ecclestone would say, "Look, what's going to be the biggest ratings draw?" You know, mm. he he always stirred the pot. He always made sure that stuff happened. You know, Mansell pops back into the sport a couple yep. years out in the middle of a campaign, but that was done so that way people would care. And I think also too, I mean, Ru- Russell being a Brit is also great because. You know, Britain's got a huge audience. He's also the next age group. You know, mm-hmm. Hamilton's a generation older than him, and they've got a plan for the future. And I think clearly Mercedes has a dominant position there. I mean, I don't know what these new regulations do to their competitive advantage, but certainly with this pandemic and the hold it put on a lot of the regulations, Lewis knows he's going to have a great car next year that he can win a championship with. Mm-hmm. What's intriguing to me is why an Alonso comes back now. And also, you know, what's going to happen with Vettel next year? I mean, I was so happy to see Perez win because he's such a likable guy and he's honestly a great driver. I think, you know, you and I have always talked about the fact that experience always counted in sports cars way more than people thought, way Mm -hmm. more than speed. I think this current generation of car is starting to reward and the tires, frankly, are starting to reward that experience. I mean, that race that Hamilton drove on the one set of tires was probably one of the greatest drives he's ever put in. Mm. And look, maybe Alonzo looks at that and says, yeah, I could come in and make a difference here. That's going to add to the element of excitement. You know, will Vettel be remotivated when he goes over to the Aston Martin team next year? I hope so, because that's what gets people tuning in. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I hope he does. I just kind of feel for me that he's, he's kind of, he's kind of, He's kind of peaked Vettel. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm ho- maybe he just needs to have a change of scenery. I, I, I hope he does. But I think the Racing Point car, Aston Martin, you know, car, is definitely probably this, definitely the second or third best car on the grid. I mean, you know, you can see the performance has been, they've been strong all year. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Vettel gets on. Um, and then again, who's going to go to Red Bull? You know, what's going to happen there? I mean, you know, Alex Albon, you know, really like him. I think he's a great kid, but... For whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out. Um, and, you know, you could say, well, you know, it takes a bit of time to get used to the car. But then you look at you look at the way Russell got in the, in the Mercedes and just kind of got straight on it. So and that's where I think Red Bull will be kind of looking and saying, well, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, maybe maybe it's not going to work for us. But then what, what's their what's their choice? I guess Perez is probably their only real choice. Um Ironically, not a Red Bull driver. You know that they, they they support all this young talent all the way through the through the different formulas, and yet they can't. They they're the one team that haven't. They can't find a driver. You know, it's yeah. crazy. You know, and Mexico Mexico is a huge market too, and a he's a hero. He's yeah. a hero down there. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, from I can see from a from a marketing and business point of view, I think it would work. I mean, yeah, you know, you do you do a one year deal or a short deal on see how it works out, but. It's just ironic that they kind of have this development driver program, you know, probably the biggest of all the manufacturers or all the F1 teams, and yet they, they, they had Gasly in the car and he didn't quite work out for them. Although he's doing fantastic at uh, the AlphaTauri uh, in the AlphaTauri car, um, so then they put Albon in and he hasn't really kind of worked out. So you start thinking, well, you know, with this all this talent that you're developing, you know, where where is it? So. Um, but yeah, it's going to be so it's going to be interesting. So you know, the fact that we're talking about it now is good for Formula One because there's there's there's, there's going to be you know quite a bit of off-season um, hype and 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 you know talk about what's going to be happening, which is which is which is all part of it, I guess. So yeah, it should should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I think looking back on looking back on 2020, you know, it's been an incredibly um, tough year for for as you said for motorsport and everything that's gone on, but. You know, for we, for for me, what what's kind of been your highlight? I mean, obviously, you know, you've been back racing, you've been driving again. I mean, you know, what's been the highlight for you of the year? I, uh, I would say just putting together more comprehensive speed at all the different tracks. 
was probably the best accomplishment. Uh, you know, you got to look at the small victories, and we've had we had a couple good, significant wins this year. Uh, you know, obviously winning at Atlanta was great, and winning at Road America, you know how special it is to win out there. Those were high water marks for the season as far as accomplishment, but I, I was more excited over the speedway down in Austin. Uh, we've been honestly not that great on slow tracks, and I went to a test and I just said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna throw the kitchen sink at this thing." And we started messing around with the front end a little bit, and all of a sudden found some really good performance. And I think that that'll translate for next year. So I would say the two wins at at the races that we had, the the nearly win at Mid Ohio was pretty special. You know, you try to blot out the bad weekends. Uh, you know, those weekends were outside of my control, but the weekends when we were punching, we were competitive. I think we were closer and, you know, pacing more weekends this year than we have before. And I think that that's exciting heading into next year. I mean, my highlight was probably just the fact that we got back to the track, you know, mm. getting to Ohio in June after a, you know, three and a half month layoff and getting back to somewhat of a routine. I mean, that was, that was just honestly just blissful for me. And, you know, just driving a Trans Am car is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Having, have, having Hamid back with us, Hamid Masood back with us running a second car, him getting up to speed and, and, you know, we're, we're excited. We're talking about next year. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that we're kind of back to a racing normal during a pandemic, right? I mean, you got to remember, this is a crazy moment. It's just makes racing even better than ever before for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how racing is next year. Hopefully, um, you know, the grids won't be affected, we you know, from the fallout of the pandemic. Hopefully, everything will be healthy and continue to grow and, and prosper. And, um, yeah, I, I hopefully, we'll get back to some normality and we'll all get to see the racing that we love and enjoy so much. Um, but I think... Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a tough year from that respect, but I think we've we're hopefully over the worst of it now. Any any new new podcast coming out? You guys going to be rolling out with any more spinning wheels in the uh, next few weeks? Not, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have one probably next week. We're still trying to figure out which guests to we're gonna get on. Um, I'd quite like to have um, more of a some kind of females right now. I want to highlight some more females in the sport. Um, so I've got a couple of thoughts on that. Um, you know, I want to make sure it's diverse. You know, I don't want to try and cover too much of the same, same old, same old. So I want to kind of do a little bit of karting and, and, and some, maybe look at some nascar -y stuff and try and look at some different kind of forms of racing. Because I think it's always good just to kind of mix it up a little bit. 